Hey, what's up, podcast family? This week's podcast guest is Hanif Joshagani. He's a high-energy serial entrepreneur. He has a broad range of experience in many industries and has raised about $100 million across the four companies he's founded with several exits up to date. Hanif is also passionate about helping other entrepreneurs as an active angel investor in several technology companies. On the podcast, we talk about business growth, Calgary post-COVID, and much, much more. His story from a 13-year-old immigrant refugee to now his company Cement having the largest capital raises in Western Canada history is a crazy one. Remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You get unique, awesome local leaders and entrepreneur stories each week, jam-packed with their insights. Leave me feedback at joe at codesa.io on some of the stories or questions you want to hear, and I read them all, so please send me them. And now to the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. Joe, how's it going? Not bad. Yeah, before we jump into the podcast, I want to congratulate uh, you and the Cement team for raising one of the largest rounds in Alberta in recent history. I think that's uh, great work you guys are doing over there. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, um, it uh, came together. Uh, you know, it was funny. We started the process to raise money before COVID really spiked. Um, but we ended up having to do most of the due diligence and getting it closed, uh, post, you know, the whole company going remote and things really uh, going to another level. So it, it was a very interesting process and I'm probably one that I'm going to tell my kids about for sure. <laughs> I'm sure well, that's, that's great. Shows that Calgary is the, uh, has a vibrant tech ecosystem here. So yeah, let's jump right into the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your background, your your history, your your origin story. Sure. Um, you know, I um, you know, it just really briefly touching, and it, it'll be relevant for some men. You know, I uh, I immigrated to Canada when I was quite young, like 13, 14 years old, and uh, my family actually escaped. Uh, it was more of an escape situation, and we landed as refugees, and you know, all the things that are associated to that, and you know, we had no money and, and, you know, we built up from scratch and there were a lot of hard times in those early days. And over time, you know, I, I did well in school. I got a, ended up at a full scholarship at the University of Chicago and uh, did, did a couple of other degrees all on full scholarships after that. Um, ended up uh, doing a bunch of work. You know, I was economics and math were really my thing. So I ended up um, you know, working in capital markets in a variety of capacities, um, uh, fixed income, derivative structure products, uh, euro dollar options trading down in Chicago, um, uh, working, uh, in mergers and acquisitions for companies like RBC and TD and, uh, investment banking for those companies, um, ended up being a corporate finance manager for a company that I'd helped IPO, which was, uh, capital power. Um, which we spun out of Epcor, which is an Alberta company. It was like a $500 million IPO. Went to join them, part of the corporate finance team that post-IPO, we helped raise, you know, $2 billion, did 
two billion in asset acquisitions. And then I don't know, like around along the way, as I learned more and more about business, I kind of wanted to kind of do it for myself. Um, after Capital Power, really uh, got into entrepreneurship. My first business was a boutique financial advisory firm, and then after we banked some fees, we started to take that money and parlay it into businesses that we were advising. And that was my taste of actually being an entrepreneur myself with my own capital at risk. Um, those businesses, a couple of those ventures went well, uh, some of them didn't. Um, and along the way, I learned a lot. My first real software company uh, was we uh, uh, was a company called Aspis, Advanced Bill Prevention Systems, which was part software, part satellites, part data around oil oil uh, spill prevention. That went really, really well. We had a decent exit there. Um, we went and started a company called Investaware, which we then changed uh, the name to Aimsio, me and a couple of really good friends, like family friends. Um, and, you know, Aimsio went in a, in a really good direction. Um, we boot, It was mostly bootstrapped in our own money. Uh, we did a raise, which was part chips off the table, part growth. Um, and after that, you know, my uh, practically he's my cousin, Ash. Uh, he took over uh, the lead CEO role there at Aimsio. I'm still a big shareholder there, but I decided to branch out and try something where, you know, it was my idea and it wasn't opportunistic. It was a passion project where I was like, look, this is something I want to do from scratch on my own and and really, you know, uh, went to Tiffany, who I'd known for a long time. And, uh, you know, sh uh, she brought in her kind of be nudging and marketing and and uh background and we kind of went after it and the idea of cement was really the genesis of it was you know, informed by my childhood and the collection calls and, and you know some of those uh experiences that i'd had you know, when i was younger and you know a desire to you know get into a business that i firsthand had some pain around and uh trying to do some social good and the idea was you know hey if we can do a better job in connecting big companies to consumers and, and improving that layer of engagement, then we can ensure less people fall through the cracks and less people get their accounts suspended and their credit screwed up and all those kinds of things, things that have happened to me. Um, and so, you know, it was one of these things where I was like, I think I have an opportunity here to build a really big business, but also do some social good along the way. Um, and that's kind of what Cement is all about. Wow. seems like you have your hands in a lot of different interesting projects. What, what would you say is uh, something you'd want to have known when you first began your entrepreneurial path? It, it's a good question. You know, I'm actually a, an active angel investor now. I'm an advisor and an investor to a bunch of other companies in the tech ecosystem in Canada, especially in Alberta. And, you know, looking at my own career and then looking at the advice that I give some of these other uh, companies, um, you know, a lot of it is, you know, you're invariably going to make mistakes along the way. Some of them are really hard to undo, you know? So being, if you're a, not a serial entrepreneur and you haven't built some scar tissue, uh, with some of these, uh, you know, mission critical, uh, decisions, like at an early stage, go and really be deliberate about what are the skill sets that I need to be successful what don't I have and lay in a strong foundation of, you know, advisors and um, mentors that can help bridge those gaps for you. And then be, you know, unapologetic about calling on those people like a dialer friend, you know, 
in 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 various situations. Uh, too many mistakes that I made were avo- avoidable. If I had just asked the extra question or thought about it and had taken an extra step and did a little bit more due diligence instead of just going with the first thing that I thought about, you know. So be very very diligent, especially if it's your first time, because some of the mistakes are really un difficult to unpack and undo. And the other thing I'd say is make sure before you raise too much money and 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 scale too much and get ahead of your skis, really make sure that you're going problem first and you have, you've identified a problem, you've identified whether there's something that's, you know, viable uh, from a financial standpoint and desirable from a purchasing standpoint that's going to solve that problem. And, you know, go problem first and then think about how to solve it and then think about whether it can be sold and then start to make heavy investments. Too many times people come up with the solution first instead of spending too much time on the problem and they end up with a product and now they have to pivot with a product, which is a lot harder and more expensive to do than to pivot with an idea. And I see that a lot. Um, So, you know going problem first and really understanding the problem unpacking it um and with a pen and paper really conceptualizing solution and validating that that if it was sold it would work and slowly getting in there and identifying things that you need to change and iterate on um that would be the way to go um a lot of the pain that i see early entrepreneurs may uh, go through is related to they invested too much in technology before really understanding the problem. So then they end up with a technology that doesn't quite work and they have to keep iterating on it. That's great advice. Speaking of problems and challenges, for you personally, has there been a big failure or challenge that you have to pivot from or learn from? Um, in cement, um, yeah, honestly, like, you know, we had a, a first big customer that came in the door uh, we did a free POC and we started to staff up all kind of assuming that it was going to be successful. And uh, we, we, we didn't hire based on real needs. We hired ahead of needs, like based on expected needs. And then the, the thing took longer and the, there was, a, it, we lost it for a second before regaining it. And I had to cut a third of the staff um, overnight. Um, and uh just to be able to get us enough runway so that we could make sure we get that customer back, we land more customers, things like that. I got ahead of my skis on hiring. And then when one, I didn't leave myself a lot of room for, uh, in, you know, mistakes. And so when one bad thing happened, uh, you know, I didn't have the maneuverability to react to. So I had to cut a lot of people. And, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a painful time, but, you know, for at least for us, being decisive at that moment and not lingering is what saved us and allowed us to be in the position we are today. So, you know, two big lessons. One was don't get ahead of yourself, right? And uh, the other one was, you know, if you do get ahead of you, you're always going to make mistakes. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to live with them. You got to be decisive once you've identified a problem. What would you say is the unique skill that you have that made you pivot and uh, learn from your mistakes so quickly? Um, humility, uh, as much as people, I, most people who know me think that I'm, I'm, you know, I do have a, a lot of confidence bordering on ego. Like the, the one thing I think that I've learned is mission critical to really innovating and disrupting rather than doing something that's been tried and true is having the humility to know that 
you're not good at this stuff. Like you have to ask a lot, like being good at listening, being good at asking a lot of questions and being good at synthesizing a lot of opinions and data points and then making decisions quickly. And then once you've made a decision, observing the data and not being very unemotional about whether it's working or not. And if it's not working, then moving on to the next thing and pivoting. Like the ability to synthesize and iterate is key because and, and, and being kind of honest with yourself that you're at best average at everything and therefore you have to be a student of the game all the time is the key. Um, and I think everybody, anyone that goes in there thinking that they're very, very good, it, uh, they immediately hit big issues and big failures and things like that. Like, you know, be, having the humility to be a student of the game opens up a lot of possibilities. Right. Absolutely. I think having that self-awareness too uh, helps with uh, building that humility as well. Just to know what you're good at, what you suck at. and Exactly. Kind of exactly. exactly. So for you personally, what's been sort of the best resources that's uh, helped you along the way? Um, different resources at different stages. I mean, uh, a really, really competent management team over time and hiring, uh, you know, one of the things that people tend to do is they they view higher co hiring costs and stuff like that very in a very uh, linear way. Um, I if I hire this person at eighty grand a year, that's the that's the answer. Versus this other guy is one twenty a year, and I can't afford that. Well, if the junior guy doesn't have the experience, and you're going to have to micromanage him, you really haven't expanded your range, and then all of a sudden it's going to cost you like tenfold down the line. So one of the things that uh, really has helped our company become successful is high, like, and whenever we moved away from that discipline, we've ended up paying for it, is hiring really, really good senior people one level below you that make with the goal of me replacing yourself. It's like, how can I hire a sales guy where I don't need to sell anymore? How can I hire a product guy where he's going to learn the product, get, get me out of his way and just get feedback from time to time. He's better at product than I am, you know? So how can I level up and always aim high at every role? And that's really what enables scalability in an organization. And every time we moved away from that ethos, we've ended up paying for it. What you're saying is hired to one day maybe replace replace you essentially. Yeah, exactly. Like the ideal goal of a CEO is it, it'll never happen, but that kind of euphoric future state is you've hired people who are so good that you can sip martinis on a beach somewhere and the company keeps growing, right? That's now it'll never happen, but that's what you should be driving towards. And if that informs all your decisions, then you're gonna start to hire some really good people that can kind of, you know, have a, a one plus one equals three impact on your business. So stepping back a little bit, have you read anything recently or uh, listened to anything recently that's uh, really inspired you? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a, a lot of things, actually. I have, a, I have a list of books that I'm reading all the time. There's one book uh, I keep reading and probably the only book that I keep reading um, because depending on what I'm dealing with and what stage we're at in the business, the things that I uh, gravitate towards, the lessons, they have new meaning over time. So there were parts of the book that like meant nothing to me two years ago. And now when I go back and I read those sections, I'm like, 
yes, please tell me more, um, is a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, and it's, um, I think it was Hurwitz that wrote it. And um, he, it was during his SoundCloud and all like the businesses that he built and he exited and he went through the whole, you know, dot-com bubble and everything else. And he ended up exiting it for you know, a billion dollars. And, but he, he went through some impossible situations and firing, hiring, lessons about training, onboarding, lessons about the difficult conversations, uh, you know, what to look for in a product manager, how you should evaluate sales. Like there's just so much good, uh, you know, anecdotal information in there uh, about how to be a successful CEO. So I would highly recommend it to anyone. And I would I would recommend going back to it as a, as a source of guidance, you know, as your career evolves and what the company needs from you evolves. So walk me through fintech industry. So what's one common myth about fintech or it could even be entrepreneurship uh, that you wish would be debunked? Um, that serial being a serial entrepreneur really like guarantees future success in some way is, is, is crazy. It doesn't get easier over time. Every situation is unique. Um, and the other one is like just the word fintech, like it's too broad. Like there is a, at the end of the day, the underpinning of every, like you could call us an engagement platform. You could call us fintech. You could, you could call us a whole bunch of different things. Like, you know, you could effectively make the argument that with currency embedded into Facebook or Twitter or like every every business, digital enablement business has some sort of financial underpinning. Um, so and 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 the main industry that they address is really the way I think about these things. And, and so um, that's one thing that I would say. The other thing is um, that somehow fintech is um you know replacing banking or traditional banking and, and things like that i think it's certainly democratizing finance and i think it's expanding the purview of finance but i think it's additive to traditional banking i think uh you know it's like it's like basically uh you know you had a car and now you're or you you know you're getting every option on it um you know what we're seeing with banks and with telcos and with all these big enterprise companies that we work with is the whether you call it fintech or something else the 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 repeated success of these organizations is is making old, older legacy businesses better um and making them more agile and making them want to innovate more and partner more and acquire more so i think uh i think that would be the big thing that i would kind of speak to is i actually think almost every startup now is in some way a fintech you know what i mean where do you see the industry going uh, in the future? Um, you know, I mean, I think the tech sector will over time, like I think the, the lines between where the tech sector begin and end and where traditional businesses begin and end uh, are, are going to start to get blurry, right? Like you have your pure tech companies, you know, like and that sector is no longer in a startup. There's most valuable companies in the world or in that sector. I think where you're going to see a lot of innovation now is traditional businesses being innovated, like healthcare, like, you know, uh, you know, like telcos, like, uh, you know, uh, manufacturing, uh, auto, you know, so I think you're going to see more and more startups that are really innovation and disruption 
within traditional industries, retail, you know, manufacturing, healthcare, things like that. So, um, you know, the lines between what's a tech company and what's a healthcare company, and all, they're going to get more and more blurry, honestly. Everybody's going to be tech enabled. Tech's going to run everything. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I think so. So thinking back to the previous question about the hard things about hard things that got me thinking, um, you said you read different literature for different stages of uh, the company. I'm just curious as to where Cement is in, in its journey. Um, you know, we're, we're a growth company now. We're not a venture business anymore. You know, like we, we had 45, 50 people. We have 45-ish people at the beginning of the year. We're close to 100 now or maybe even over. Um, and we're hiring three, four people a week. Uh, um, so we're, we're scaling quite rapidly. We hope to be a multi-billion dollar business by the end of, you know, 2021. Uh, so we're, we're at that point where it's not about product market fit anymore. It's about operationalizing processes. It's about not hiring the executives, but the next layer of leadership below the executives. It's not about uh showing traction it's about showing scale and being able to handle uh you know not like you know 20 million a year revenue but being able to build the organization that can handle you know 200 million a year in revenue so that's kind of what we're how we're thinking about the business now is more around um uh, you know let's stop thinking about this as a startup let's think about this as a as a true enterprise which is where we want to be in the next 18 months and the best way to get to a point B is to start acting like it today. And so that's kind of the way we're thinking about our business now. For you personally, what are you curious about right now? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about Calgary, honestly. Like, you know, Calgary, more than any other city that I've ever been to, is, is a transient city where people came to hustle and people came to work. It, it, it's got a very meritocracy, um, enterprising uh, DNA to its people. Um, and, you know, uh, I think oil and gas will always be an important part of this city. Um, but like any other city, like Denver was an oil, pure oil and gas town, and it managed to deliberately diversify its business and now totally on SendGrid and all these big businesses are are in that area and in Colorado Springs and stuff like that. We have an office there, actually. It's a very diversified economy now. And I think that's important for us as well. Um, uh, and, and to not be as much of a, a boom or bust city, I, I, in no way am I uh, saying that oil and gas should not be an important part of the future. What I am saying is that it's not good for any city to be uh, single industry focused, it's very dangerous for, and and very you know uh, difficult to predict and be stable that way, regardless of the industry, um, you know. And so making this place, but we have the skill set, we have the quality of life, we have the affordability. Like it, it, it's got, we have the amazing healthcare system. Like if you think about the what are great schools, like what are the foundations of building an incredible workforce of people contributing, not just to tech, but in a lot of different ways, Calgary's got every single ingredient, like enterprising, uh, you know, entrepreneurial people, highly educated, highly technically capable, uh, great healthcare, great education, low housing costs, affordable, like, like compared to other big cities, very little traffic. Um, 
great infrastructure. Like there's no reason for our city to be in the kind of pain that it is in today. And I think, you know, structural changes take time, but I really believe Calgary has the DNA, the ingredients of being one of the coolest cities to live in, period. It already is to me, uh, you know, already, but I think in 10 years, in 20 years, what I hope to see here is a very vibrant and diverse economy. Um, and I really believe it'll happen. I absolutely agree with you, Panif. I think with tech companies like yours leading the way, I think we're becoming more more of a uh, technology hub. And um, like you're saying, we're, we have a diversity of skills and um, all that great stuff. So I think Calgary, it's well positioned to become, in my opinion, already the best, the best city in Alberta, but even in Canada. Um, that's I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, you know, I, I, before this whole COVID thing, I used to have to travel like 50% of the time. And it was all over, Toronto, uh, Seattle, New York, San Francisco, everywhere, Denver, um, Florida, like I was all over. Um, and uh, every time I landed in YYC airport, I, I breathed more easily, every time, <laughs> no matter where I went. It, doesn't, it didn't matter, even on vacations. Like if, if the vacation took more than a week, I was like, I wanna go home. Like, it's just, there's something about being here that just puts my mind at ease. Like you know, like a, like a comfy blanket or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I I love this city. I love the people here. I love the fact that it's almost like like if a Wall Street guy and a redneck had a baby. It's got like a the perfect balance between those two things. Uh, you know, people who want to hustle and and make money and be entrepreneurial, but also a, a place where your handshake still matters and and your your reputation and your in, in, integrity and and you know. It's just, I really like the balance we have here in this city. And I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Absolutely. I think once we get past this whole pandemic, I think we'll be on our way back up uh, just with our DNA and all the resilience we have in the city. Um, Exactly. Yeah, I look forward to seeing where Calgary goes. A couple more questions here. Uh, What's one question that you never guessed that uh, you wish you would be asked? Uh, That's a good one. Um, you know, normally these questions are pretty good, but, you know, I think the one question, I don't know how honest I would be about the answer, honestly, is like, you know, the, the and I'm starting to practice this. It's a new habit of mine. I'm just trying, I'm still getting better at it. It's trying to plan the future based on the things that will make us fail, right? Like, you know, you're in your mind, when you close your eyes, you always have the chess moves that are going to move you from here to where success, what success looks like or what the next goal looks like the next major milestone, but you never do the chess pieces and the moves towards how are you going to lose? What are the moves? What are the things that you could potentially do and how could the world shift? And what are the things that could, you know, uh, you know, topple our city or topple cement or, you know, it's what are the key impediments? What are the key risks? What are the things that, you know, if you don't nail it, uh, you, you're still exposed. Um, you know, and how are, how, what are your plans for that? You know, that's, that's probably one of the things that I've started to spend most of my time thinking about is not about how I'm going to grow and sell. It's like, what, what, what could, what could we end up doing or what could end up happening outside of our control that would, would prevent us from getting to where we need, you know, and then how do you plan around that? Um, you know, that's kind of where I want to spend most of my time now is thinking about those things and protecting our downside. Um, you know, right now for us, I mean, hiring really good people is obviously one of them. 
system scalability, cloud, you know, stability of the cloud infrastructure globally. Like there's a lot of different things that, uh, you know, uh, that keep, you know, make me, make me really, really focus. The one, the biggest one that I think is outside of like, we can invest in it all day and we invest heavily in it. And we're going to be one of the Canada's leading technology companies in this area is security. Um, but still, no matter how, you know, you know how high sci-fi your security stuff is you know it, it, you got to keep being vigilant at it because we are living in a more and more digital world and uh you know security and, and security breaches and uh security risk is one of those things that like unless you're vigilant all the time it takes only once for you to make a mistake you know there's a lot of other things that could go wrong but you could recover right? Security failures are the ones where it's like, you know, that's, that's a mistake you can't really afford to make even once. And uh, I, I think, you know, early startups can't invest as much time into it, but we do. And, and it's still, I'm always thinking about what I could do to do more. So where can listeners connect with you online or cement? Um, you know, like, uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And, and, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, I do, there are a lot of people reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, uh, I try to connect to as many people as I can. The other way, you know, we have a full marketing team and I have a full CEO office with people that support me because of all the different places that I need to pro- project my decision-making and my line of sight. Uh, and so anyone that reaches out to us on our website as well, there are people that are monitoring that thing every day. And they escalate things that are addressed to me directly to me directly. So I would say those are probably the best two ways. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Hanif. Um, I usually like to end the podcast with uh, you posing a question to the audience or even a uh, quote or a story. Um, yeah, I've been talking to my team a lot. And, and it's funny. It's like all the little things that, you know, an inch, like there's my, one of my favorite movie, one of my favorite speeches from one of my favorite movies is Al Pacino in any given Sunday, where he talks about the inches in life, an inch this way and an inch that way. And that's the difference between winning and losing. And it is, is the difference between greatness and being forgotten. And, you know, there's, you know, whatever you're trying to innovate, better believe there's a thousand other people trying to do the same thing. So, you know, I, I truly believe that hard work and hustle and vigilance every moment of every day is what's required to be successful as an entrepreneur. And if anything less than you giving it 100% of yourself is what you're prepared to do is anything less than 100%, then then don't get into entrepreneurship. Uh, it's, uh, you know, if you want it to be, if you want to choose entrepreneurship as a lifestyle, um, and you're really passionate about something, then give it everything. Because, you know, in our company, when I look back at all the little things that if we just done them even a little differently or a day late, we wouldn't be here. There's a ton of them. So it's, you know, it, and we, we, we amalgamated it all and we're like, oh my God, we were so lucky, but it's not, it was, it was more like, you know, uh, you know, we created our own luck by, by giving it 150% and never taking a day off. And that's kind of what it takes, honestly, in this day and age. You build luck with hard work. Exactly. 
Exactly. Well, Hanif, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I'm sure the listeners will get lots of uh, great insight from you. And uh, I look forward to seeing where cement goes. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.